Snoopy has been a mascot for astronauts in the U.S. space program for quite a long time, but why and how did that cartoon dog become so connected with NASA? Well, to find out more, we're talking to Benjamin Clark, the curator of the Schultz Museum in California, who have just opened a temporary exhibit called Snoopy in Orbit. Are you a big Snoopy fan? Let us know via our social media pages at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram, Threads, and Facebook, or via the contact form on our website. And please consider joining us over at patreon.com forward slash space and things but right now enjoy episode 153 of the space and things podcast you're listening to the space and things podcast with steve Giles and emily carter I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 153 of our podcast. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm doing good. I just came back from yet another trip to Epcot. Oh, yes. Yeah, I live close to there, just so just so people know. I'm not, like, blowing all my money there. So I live a few miles out, so I can drive whatever I want there. But, yeah, we had a great weekend. How how are you doing, Dave? Good, thanks. Yeah, Florida Floridians get a discount, don't they, as well? So that's always good. Yeah, we kind of get spoiled. Yeah. Do you know what? I read something. I was um, reading the photograph in America's First Astronauts book. We interviewed J.L. Pickering and John Bisney about a few weeks ago. And in the back, it said, what did the uh, the astronauts do next? And I read something. You must know this, but I didn't know this. Gordo Cooper ended up helping out Epcot. Did you know that? He was working for Epcot. Yeah, he did. And I think he helped with the design uh, of Space Mountain as well in the early 70s because... NASA wanted to make it uh, not accurate, but they wanted to give people a feeling of motion or something like that. So I believe he helped design Space Mountain or consulted on Space Mountain as well. So, yeah, he worked on Epcot and and all that. Yeah, he he was big with Disney. A few astronauts, I want to say, have gone on to have a Disney sort of connection because Disney does a lot as as everybody, as you all probably know. I don't need to tell everybody and, you know, Dave, but Disney has actually a lot of linkages with like space and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they've they've used a lot of astronaut talent to help enhance their their rides and their 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 things. So it's really cool. I actually saw something cool um for those of you who haven't been there yet but may want to visit. There's a pavilion, the American Adventure in the World Showcase, and I feel stupid because I've never been in that pavilion. Oh, it's amazing. Okay, because I'm a dummy. I'm like, you know, I'm American. I don't need to go in there. I've, I, I, I live in America. So my niece, who's awesome, was like, why don't we go in the American Pavilion? I'm like, I live in America, but sure, I'll go. I'll go in there, as one does. I'm trying to make myself sound snotty. So we went in there. And there's a friggin' McCall painting of STS-1 wow. called Reach, Reaching for the Stars. And I was not aware of this. I think that painting used to be in the Horizons Pavilion in the early 80s. But I never knew where it went. I honestly was like, they probably moved it to his estate or maybe somewhere else in Disney. But I didn't know where they put it. Yeah. So we go in the pavilion and that painting was like right there and I freaked out. I got it like I was like, oh my God, I didn't know it was in there. So I'd like to thank my niece for pointing that out. I got a bunch of pictures of it. And the American Adventure Pavilion is awesome. They also have a steakhouse called the Regal Eagle. And I bought a Sam the Eagle sipper cup there because I'm I'm mentally about twelve. 
So <laughs> I had to have I had to have them. I I, I love the Muppet. So yeah, Amazing. so that was really cool. So if um if you've never been to Epcot and you'd like to go there, if you go to the American Adventure and the World Showcase, they do have that painting, which I I honestly was unaware that that was there. So yeah. that was awesome. So yeah, kind of a neat little aside, but. Anyway, yeah, we've been accused before, Emily, of becoming a bit of a Disney infomercial at the start of our uh, podcast because we do yeah. love, love talking about it. It's not for everybody. I'm aware that not everyone loves Disney and that's fine, you know, but I like it, but I'm not promoting it. it you know, I'm not, I'm just saying, you know, if you do go there, there are some cool space things there. At Epcot, they've got a great space restaurant. It's not cheap, but it's. Yeah, extremely I need worth to go it. there. Uh, so there's pl- there's plenty of stuff there there at Epcot. So the the American Pavilion. If you haven't seen the um, the acapella singers, they're incredible. But anyway, the, yes. the main show that they've got there, it's a animatronic. I think it's Thomas yeah. Jefferson and Mark Twain. I think it's Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin, it's ben Franklin that's, that's and Mark it. Twain. I had never seen the show. It hasn't changed in. In the in twenty years, I remember it as a kid. Apart from the fact they've 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 changed the ending, so it's very much about uh, um, the the idea of America and and not just as being successful, but a place where people can come and and get things wrong and try and learn from their mistakes and so on and so forth. And there's a montage at the end which has you know some 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 space stuff in there, which is is quite cool. But the thing that really got me during that yeah that montage is for some reason. I don't know who created this, but Albert Einstein is suddenly American, <laughs> and so is Elon Musk. Elon Musk was too. I'm like, <laughs> hang on a moment. Yeah, what? Elon, when Elon showed up, I was like, I was like, no offense, you know, no, and I'm not dissing Elon. I don't want to get again a million hate letters. Like, we love Elon. Don't touch him. But Elon's not American, yeah. so I was very because I, me and my niece were sitting. I was with my niece and my sister. And when that came on, I was like, what? Like, I actually said it out loud and it, like the theater's quiet. And I'm like, huh? Like, he's not American. You know, no, no disrespect against him, but he's not American. Yeah. But whatever. Uh, maybe he's a naturalized citizen or maybe he has an American passport. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. But, um, I'm sure that's it. Yeah, it was just, I, it, I agree. I bumped on that as well. I was like, what? I, <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. And Einstein, I agree. I was sort of like. He's not American. I, I don't know. I was expecting like some w- other weird stuff to show up. Like, I don't know. I think Alexander Grant Bell is in the show, too. And I'm not sure I could be wrong about this. And if I am, somebody please call me out. I think he's Canadian. I thought he was Canadian or he had Canadian, maybe a Canadian heritage of some sort. I could be wrong. I need to look it up. But I, I saw him and I was like, I don't know if he's American, but not that being can. I mean, can- Canada is pretty close to us, so I'm not. I don't know. Whatever. I'll shut up. But yeah, anyway. yeah, there were some a few historical inconsistencies, but that's yeah, okay. Absolutely. All right. Anyway, <laughs> on to this week's main feature. So we've been saying we wanted to do this one for a while now, and we've been presented with a perfect opportunity to do so. So Charles M. Schultz created the Peanuts comic strip in 1950, and it stars Charlie Brown and his pet dog Snoopy, two of the most famous characters in the world. Well, Snoopy became a mascot for NASA in the 60s and continues to be so. The Apollo 10 command module was named Charlie Brown and the lunar module was called Snoopy. And Snoopy was recently used as a zero gravity indicator on the Artemis 1 mission. And there's a Snoopy award and all kinds of stuff. It's, it's, it's a big connection. It's a big connection. Yeah, Snoopy is on a lot of t-shirts too. If you go to any of the NASA gift shops or 
uh, Space Center gift shops. They Snoopy is just all over the place. So he's he's ubiquitous. Good word. As far as like NASA is concerned. Yep. I no, I took AP English. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm kidding. Well, the Schultz Museum in Santa Rosa, California, have recently opened a temporary exhibit called Snoopy in Orbit. And today we're talking to the curator of the museum, Benjamin L. Clark. He's been working for the museum since February 2018, so we're excited to find out out all about Snoopy in space. Every single place in the observable universe is either space or a thing. So this podcast is really about everything. So hello, Benjamin, and thank you so much for joining us on our podcast this week. Now, because this podcast is called Space and Things, here's the and things part. So how did you become (laughs) the curator of the Schultz Museum dedicated to the creator of Peanuts and Snoopy. I answered the ad. <laughs> the curator. Uh, I've, I've been in muse- been in museums for um, actually 20 years this summer. So, um, so for the last five, I've been here. So I had a, you know, pretty good track record and then uh, uh, applied to the job and they liked my writing and, and uh, how I do things. So here I am. That's, that's good. All right. So while Peanuts and Snoopy started during the 1950s, uh, its popularity really skyrocketed during the 1960s. You know, that's when you started seeing all the TV shows and the merchandise and everything like that. So why do you think Peanuts, its characters and its catchphrases uh, resonated so much worldwide during that decade? Wow. Um, there there have been literally dissertations written about that. <laughs> so it's there's a, a, there's a lot there. Unlike some of his contemporaries, Charles Schultz wrote and drew his comic strip completely by himself. Nice. Some of his contemporaries, once they got big national syndication kind of contracts, they would hire gag writers. They would hire studio artists to help draw the strip. But Charles Schultz was old school even in 1950 when the strip began and wrote and drew every single comic strip in Peanuts by himself. And he poured everything into it of himself. So all of his childhood memories and feelings, you know, he, he put into it. And I think people uh, reading the strip in the 1950s, in the 1960s, it resonated because it was so honest. Uh, it was emotionally honest. And that was pretty weird to encounter on the comics page at that time because it had gone through phases of adventure strips and slapstick comedy and whereas peanuts still retained a lot of comedy i mean it's a very funny strip Uh, i i laugh every day at my desk reading peanuts but there's still that emotional honesty that that opens us to connect at a deeper level with these characters and Mm. the things that they go through so I think that's that's the key part of why it just exploded in popularity at that time. So moving on to the space element of our chat, uh, I believe that the first official sighting of Snoopy and Peanuts as characters in space came during 1969's Apollo 10 mission, uh, the program's lunar landing dress rehearsal. So tell us how the connection between NASA and Peanuts started and why it remained over the years. So following the Apollo 1 disaster, NASA was wanting to establish a a more deliberate safety program for their crewed missions. 
and um, wanted to, you know, evaluate and really spend some time with with safety. And uh, they had tasked um, a man named Al Chop to uh, to do kind of head that up. And what he did is he reached out to Charles Schultz and he said, you know, we, we were developing this program and we, we really need a friendly face to put on this program. Could we use Snoopy? And Schultz was flattered and, and, and really honored by that request and agreed to it. Uh, he, he did have a little bit of pushback from his syndicate. They said, you know, if you, you know, if you tie your character to this, and he was talking about doing a series of strips where he could send Snoopy to the moon. He said, you know, what if there's another accident? You know, what if there's another tragedy? And your character will be forever linked with that. And he said, you know, these people are risking their lives. I can, I can have my comic characters, you know, uh, go along. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the, the genesis for the Silver Snoopy Award and uh the crude flight safety program tell us a little bit about the snoopy award how much do you know about it it how many times has it been awarded is is that a regular thing i'm not a hundred percent sure about this but i think the numbers over fifteen thousand of them have been wow. awarded since 1968 69 charles schultz was actually one of the first people to get it oh wow his was awarded to him by uh wally shira nice and um because he had you know designed the Silver Snoopy, you know, design and, and things. So um, they had a special presentation for him and, and gave him uh, one of the one of the earliest ones. And so which we have in our collection here at the museum. Nice. Uh, and it's uh, really, really cool. So, yeah, but no, I think something like 15,000 of them have been awarded in the in the time since since 1968, 69. I think the earliest ones were 68. And what are they usually given for? Just services to space flight? Is that how it works? Yes, uh, that's my understanding is is to services, especially towards safety, right? Uh, to space in space flight, and it's given to uh, NASA employees and contractors. So, if you're a contractor working on a specific, um, on a specific thing, you you would probably also be eligible. Yeah, I've seen one of them uh, at the EAA Museum in in Oshkosh. Uh, Jeannie Engel has had, was awarded one for her work in mission control, and I've seen that one. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of muse museums all over the place, though, right? Yeah. At present time, as your Snoopy in orbit exhibit shows, many Snoopies have flown to the moon, the International Space Station, and likely someday beyond. What is your personal favorite Snoopy and Peanuts artifact in the exhibit, and what's the story behind it? Oh, my goodness. That's not fair to ask yeah. the curator their favorites. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm the curator. I get to, I, They're all my favorites. I get to pick them all. So um, that's one of the perks. We do have, it's the only piece of original Schultz art in this exhibition. We're still kind of untangling the story a little bit, but we have what looks like, um, we only have like a couple pieces of correspondence. Then we have this piece of art and we're kind of like not sure how it all fits together. But it looks like early on they had, NASA had requested from Schultz maybe upwards of like 15 poses of Snoopy in the astronaut flight suit and um or something I'm not really sure what they asked of him to produce but he apparently produced um upwards of you know 15 more than a dozen of these drawings 
and we have one of them and it looks you you put it side by side with the silver snoopy and it's like okay he drew both of these at the same time you know he's working through these various ideas and um and poses and so this is this is kind of a cool thing um Maybe it wasn't a design for the Silver Snoopy. Maybe it was a design for like the safety posters, which a lot of people will, a lot of your listeners will be familiar with already, um, which features Snoopy. So um, from that era. So we're not really sure what it is. It doesn't seem like it was ever used anywhere. It's, it's a really curious piece, but it's really cool to see this kind of alternate pose from the hand of Charles Schultz of an astronaut Snoopy from it looks like spring of like 68. Wow, yeah, that's that's very cool indeed. How, how many um, flown Snoopies are in the exhibit? There are uh, counting the silver Snoopy of Schultz's. We have four, but three uh, toys. We've got a follow up to that from one of our Patreon subscribers. Don Irwin has asked if there are any special tests that you're aware of that the materials may needed to have gone gone through to be considered safe for space travel. Yes. Uh, I do. Um, in fact, it looks like some of them in the past have just been the commercially available Snoopy plush. So I don't know what testing they would have gone through to uh, ensure that they were the you know safest selection to make. Uh, I don't. I don't know, but uh, I do know that for the Artemis One mission, um, the zero gravity indicator Snoopy that we have on exhibit now. Uh, was rigorously tested, and in fact, his his little custom flight suit, which is really really fun, uh, is is made of the exact. I mean, every every atom of it is is the exact materials NASA uses on their human sized flight suits. That's very cool. It's extremely cool yeah. to see it in miniature. That's insane. I love that. Do you have any special events planned to highlight this exhibit? We do. Coming up on uh, August 5th, uh, we will have astronaut Mike Massimino here uh, nice. to oh, wow. talk about um, his experiences as an astronaut. He's flown um, a couple of different missions. And of course, he has the oldest of our space flown Snoopies, which he has very generously uh, lent to us here at the Schultz Museum. He has this incredible photograph of himself. Uh, as a kid, I think it's from like 69 and he's holding the, the original, the first, you know, astronaut Snoopy toy, uh, where Snoopy's in his, you know, flight suit and the helmet and the whole thing. And young Mike is wearing a, uh, I think it's a homemade kind of astronaut flight suit costume, yeah. you know, and he's holding the Snoopy. It's really great. And then he shared a photograph of himself with the exact same doll when he was on a mission uh on uh wow on one of the shuttle missions really cool really special thing uh to be able to have so we're going to have uh astronaut mike massimino here august 5th uh saturday but i believe tickets are already sold out so oh, wow so if you haven't got your tickets yet i'm afraid it might be too late <laughs> yeah that's a that's a really special story the one of uh him i, I think it was his mum who made the the spacesuit. It's his, it's in his book. It's a wonderful story, and the fact that yeah, you've got that in your exhibit at the moment that that Snoopy doll is is pretty cool. Very very cool. <laughs> so Charles Schultz died in two thousand after ending Peanuts, but the comic strips, the books, movies, television shows 
are really still very much alive and accessible today. Uh, people still love it. So why do you think these character, characters, especially Snoopy, why do you think they still endure? It goes back to what I was saying earlier about Schultz's emotional honesty and um, his ability to kind of dig deep um, within himself and share those insecurities and and capture those. Um, he he described them as as um, small moments, and really, it's it's like it's like the pauses in between the words of a conversation. But he can he captures stuff like that in mm. Peanuts. He's Things you think nobody in the world has ever, nobody in the existence of humankind has ever given this a thought. Anybody but me. But you know what? Charles Schultz did. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, a lot of other people do too. And uh, and I think a lot of people connect with that and um, and with those characters. And Snoopy especially, so many of us, me included, you know, we really identify, you know, Snoopy is our favorite character, even though we know we are more like Charlie Brown. And we love Snoopy because of what he is capable of and, and, and his, his uninhibited nature. And we wish we could be like him. Absolutely. So how do people decide how Snoopy is used these days? When NASA yeah. now get in contact and say, hey, we want Snoopy as our zero G, zero G indicator for Artemis 1. Do the family get a say in that? Is there a trust set up or is it kind of out there for anyone to use these days? Definitely not around for anybody to use these days. (laughs) There's a company, Peanuts Worldwide, which um, controls the the use of Snoopy and the other Peanuts characters. And there's also Schultz Creative Associates, which Charles Schultz himself had set up. It's It's his studio. So the Schultz studio has a team of experts who review every single use of of the characters so if you see snoopy on a lunchbox snoopy on school supplies even the zero gravity indicator specially custom built for nasa it all gets reviewed by people who are deeply deeply aware of these characters and the standards charles schultz himself laid out uh how his characters are to be used and and yes the family is involved uh with the studio as well and um so there's there are standards in place which is why you you don't see snoopy on absolutely anything and everything that's why the products are reviewed and and are good things you know you don't it's not it's not junk and uh the way some sometimes you see character you know licensed characters and the arts flip the wrong way and and um and it's actually licensed and things you just kind of go man nobody's who's reviewing this and but they, they actually do have have a, a team of people who do that. And you, you may not know the answer to this, but um, Don Irwin also asked if you know if there are plans for Snoopy to go on more Artemis missions. Is that connection between NASA and Snoopy going to endure? The relationship with NASA is ongoing with Peanuts, so I wouldn't rule anything out. Uh, I don't know of any uh, specific plans at this time, but I am not the first person they call to, <laughs> to discuss these things. Uh, so, um, I, I really hope, you know, Snoopy can go, uh, even further. Uh, the Snoopy that traveled on Artemis one is now the, the furthest, one of the furthest traveled human made objects. I mean, it's just incredible that, um, you know, he's gone something like 1.4 million miles and, and I hope Snoopy will continue to find new frontiers for us. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us, Benjamin. We've really enjoyed learning more about this uh, connection between Snoopy and NASA, and, and long may it continue, in my opinion. Uh, and we wish you all the best with the exhibit as well. I believe it's running until January the 14th in 2024. That sounds right. That so sounds plenty right. of time for people to get out to Santa Rosa to check it out as well. So uh, Yes, please do. Yeah. I'm, I'm in California in October, so I'll try my very best. This is the Space and Things Podcast with Emily Carney and Dave Gillis. Well, firstly, Benjamin has a wonderful voice. And I just want to say that because it was yes. a pleasure to, to have him on in my headphones. And I find this whole connection between Snoopy and NASA fascinating and i loved it when he said that there was some pushback about the connection because people were advising schultz that if it went wrong it could kill snoopy you know the reputation of snoopy could also be tarnished and i love that schultz's response to that when something is successful you forget that something may have been a risk at some point and something as simple as yeah. connecting a fictional character with a space program seems really innocent. But actually, it was a big decision for, well, perhaps it wasn't a big decision, but yeah. it certainly was a decision which some people divide Schultz, Schultz against. And that that's quite fascinating, isn't it, when you look back? Yeah, and I think it was a brave decision for Schultz to associate his comic strip with the space program. Because as Benjamin said, and as you said, the Apollo 1 fire happened in 1967. You know, not long after that, Snoopy was being sort of connected with NASA and it was kind of becoming NASA's unofficial, unofficial official mascot, I guess you would say. People probably don't remember now or if they don't remember, they're not aware of it because they may have not been alive back then. But there are people who are like, we need to end Apollo. We need to not go to the moon. It's too dangerous. We don't need to take any risks anymore because people are dying. And conversely, other people were like, these guys had an unfortunate death, but we need to make it worth something. You know, they would want us to go forward and to actually explore the moon and to to fulfill what Kennedy said. But, you know, NASA was getting a lot of criticism at the time, you know, some, some of it rightly so, because there were early issues with the Apollo program for Schultz allowing... You know, Snoopy and Charlie Brown, you know, very cute, childlike characters to be associated with the Apollo program. That was very brave, I think. And it obviously it worked out for the best, but there was definitely that what if some disaster happened, you know, or what if something horrible happened? Yeah, I love the fact that they've got this Snoopy Award as well and and that that it's been given out to so many people. As I said, I've seen one um, in Oshkosh. I'm assuming you've seen one of these? Yeah, I've seen a couple of silver Snoopies in the in the wild, I guess. Uh, in, in yeah, and they're they're really cool. And I know a few people who've gotten them, and that it's a really big deal. It's a really big honor to get them because, and they're adorable. He's wearing a little space helmet. Yeah, he's adorable. Now, as well as the fact that there's this exhibit going on at the moment at the Schultz Museum at Kennedy Space Center, there's a new show called All Systems A Go, and it's an immersive experience featuring puppetry and light sound and and Snoopy and and Peanuts. And uh, essentially the launch director calls on uh, Snoopy and Woodstock to assist with Artemis. And uh, I I think it connects with the reason why Snoopy was used as a zero-gravity indicator on Artemis 1. But I love this connection with Snoopy and NASA. I hope it continues. I think it's... It's fun. It's just a good bit of fun. And it's nice to see an organization like NASA have fun 
I think when you see SpaceX and they always have these fun at zero zero G indicators and they sell out with minutes on the store as soon as, as soon as people see what they are and things like that. I think SpaceX and other private enterprise have tried to bring the fun into into space flight and NASA kind of always has had it but it doesn't sing about it enough and you can sometimes forget that actually you yeah. know it had an Apollo spacecraft called Snoopy and Charlie Brown <laughs> like that's cool that's yeah. fun it's a great way of connecting those missions with people back home and especially in the 60s late 60s when Snoopy was such a huge character uh, so I, I think it's it's a lot of fun and I think it's really cool that they've done it and Long may it continue. Anyway, you can hear the full unedited interview on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash space and things. And find out more about Benjamin and the Schultz Museum and the Snoopy in Orbit exhibit in the show notes. There'll be some of the links as well. And as I said in the interview, that exhibit is running all the way until January the 14th, 2024. You're listening to Space and Stuff. What was that? Space and Things. You're listening to Space and Things. So, Emily, what's caught your eye in spaceflight since last week? So, uh, a couple episodes, I think, uh, ago, I talked about the Aeolus, uh, the European space uh, craft that was uh, uh, sent into space in 2018 to monitor Earth's winds, and they were going to do a controlled re-entry of it. On Friday, July 28th, uh, the Aeolus in, uh, spacecraft did re-enter Earth's atmosphere around uh, 3 p.m., uh, Eastern Daylight Time, according to Space.com. And it w- re-entered over Antarctica. So there was a controlled re-entry as planned. I believe this is one of the first times this has ever really been done for a satellite, which is really cool. I believe Chris Hadfield did put up a video of what he thought was the Aeolus re-entry, but I believe that was uh, not the real re-entry, oh. unfortunately. I don't know if they have actual video of the re-entry or not. So if if there is, that's cool. But I don't think that's it, unfortunately, which kind of stinks because I was kind of like, wow, that that looks really cool, whatever it is. But so Aeolus did successfully re-enter the planet. I believe the uh, ground controller sent a series of commands to the spacecraft and they safely put it down uh, over the Antarctic. And to my knowledge, uh, the spacecraft just burned up. It didn't, you know, there were no heavy parts that impacted the ground or there was no, uh, I hate saying this, there was no Skylab type, you know, event where, you know, stuff was, you know, impacting the ground and, and hurting people, and especially because Antarctica is, is very sparsely populated. There's not many people there. So that happened on uh, Friday, July 28th, and that's pretty cool. Another thing that happened in the last few days, this story just broke today, was that, um, NASA has lost contact with Voyager 2. Uh, Voyager 2 uh, lifted off almost 46 years ago in 1977. Uh, It's a little bit old. It's a few months older than I am. But I guess what happened, according to the BBC, last month the spacecraft uh, tilted its antenna uh, to point two degrees away from Earth. Oh, my God. Uh, So that's all it took was two degrees. That's all it took was two degrees, and it was like, nope, I'm out. So as a result, uh, Earth is not receiving, um, the the satellite is not receiving commands and we're not getting any data from it. So um, according to this article, NASA says it hopes communication will resume when the probe is due to reset in October. And also according to the uh, article, uh, just so you, you are aware where Voyager 2 actually 
is of uh, Voyager 2 is more than 12.3 billion miles, which is 19.9 billion kilometers from Earth. It is traveling at an estimated 34,390 miles per hour, which is 55,346 kilometers an hour through interstellar space. So that is where it is right now. That's a very long distance away from Earth. I believe this is one of the furthest, if not the furthest. I'm not sure um, if Voyager 1 is further out. I think Voyager 2 is further out, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it, it's very far away right now. And of course, it uh, explored the the solar system, most of the solar system, uh, from uh, 1979 through 1989. Hopefully, they'll be able to reestablish contact in October. But yeah, that's all it took was a two-degree deviation pointed away from our planet. I mean, that kind of tells you how small things are, like how you have to get things 100% right. Anyway, I hope the person responsible for that is not fired or is not in too much trouble. (laughs) I, I know I'm praying that the poor person who did this is not consequenced for it because stuff does happen. And, you know, one day Voyager, the Voyager's... I hope not in the near future, but they're going to be retired eventually. I mean, you got to think of it. 46 years is pretty amazing for anything to survive in that environment that long. Like I'm still, my my mind is blown that it's even transmitting at all at this point. That is what has been on my radar this week. And like I said, um, hopefully when we reestablish, we reestablish, when NASA reestablishes communication with Voyager again, hopefully in October, uh, we will post a follow-up. Absolutely. So, Dave, what has caught your eye this week? Um, not too much. I've been I've been a little bit busy, so I uh, haven't had my eyes on the news too much. But I did. I Euclid's first images. I don't know if you you saw this. So this was um, we we briefly mentioned this last month. This is an ambitious telescope of the European Space Agency, which has also gone out to the same uh, Lagrange point where JWST is, and the idea behind this telescope um, is that it's going to uncover the dark universe and find all the dark matter in the universe and it's sent back its early commissioning test images and and just like some of the JWST messages uh, images we've had they're just breathtaking um, so I will I will post the link to them in in the show notes. Also, there's been a, a fair few articles over the last few weeks gone up about training for the Artemis two mission, and if the, the crew have had their splashdown training, and uh, there's been a few few images coming out from that. And when that crew was announced, we said we hoped that we got taken along from the journey. And it's great to see that these articles and images and stories and interviews about what's going on is all out there. Whether it's reaching people or not is another 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 thing altogether beyond hardcore people like you and I but it's great to see this and it's good fun like the, the splashdown stuff again some of my favorite era uh, Apollo era images is stuff of them doing their splashdown training this isn't being done in swimming pools like uh, in in the back of a hotel like they were doing back in the, in the Gemini <laughs> days but uh, Mercury Gemini days but, wherever they could yeah exactly but it, it's still cool to see this the next level on from well, a few levels on from those Apollo era era days. Um, so that's that's kind of what's caught my eye. Also, another country has signed the Artemis Accords. And I'm always fascinated to see uh, where we're up to with this. It's 28 countries now have signed up. And the latest one is Argentina. Still no China and no Russia. And that's unlikely to ever happen. But the Artemis Accords is this new... Yeah. Uh, international agreement which the US is trying to get as many countries to sign up to about how we explore space peacefully uh, in essence and it's uh, yeah I mean 
I'm so dubious about these kind of things with how whether people sign up to this or not is is it really going to affect how countries act in space a lot of these countries aren't even in space yeah but alas I kind of I understand I sort of feel the same way because like um I look at treaties and accords. They're cool and they're a neat idea, but you can sign a piece of paper and be like, I'll do, okay, I signed this piece of paper, but I'm doing something else. I'm doing my own thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a lovely idea. I love the idea behind it. I love what is actually in the accords. If you read them, it's pretty cool stuff, but whether whether people sign up to it and it's kind of embarrassing in my opinion, only 28 nations have signed up so far. This has been like two or three years now. You, you, it's not a lot. It's not a lot. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. No, that's not a lot. There's a lot of countries. So yeah, I agree. Anyway, on a more positive note, there was a cool Falcon Heavy launch this week and I will put a video of that in the show notes as well because Falcon Heavy launches are always fun. Yeah, I completely missed it. <laughs> I, I'm embarrassed. I was I completely missed it. If it happened early in the morning, I was probably and I think I had my alarm set and I oh, totally no. missed the damn thing. Oh no. That's a shame. Yeah, exactly. I woke up and I was like, you got to be kidding me. I overslept. So, yeah, I think, yeah, menopause one that day. Uh, menopause one, me. Emily, like negative 30,000. So, yeah, pretty much. So, yeah. There'll be another. Hopefully there'll be another and you can catch that one. Yeah. I'll watch the video. I'll watch the video in the show notes. There you go. With everybody else. There you go. Space <laughs> and Things Podcast, Emily. That's where you need to go. Spaceandthingspodcast.com and you can watch it on there. I will check it out. Yep, okay. I will catch up. That's one small step for... Oh my... What is that thing? <laughs> anyway, that's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. Some big plans are being made right now, and I posted a list of all these things I'm planning. Actually, I realized afterwards I forgot two of them, so I need to go and update that. On our Patreon page this week, I, a big long list. And of course... When we finish this week's episode, we'll also be making a draw for our monthly Patreon book prize. So please consider joining us over there by heading to patreon.com forward slash space and things. We're also planning a bonus Patreon episode or two as well, which will hopefully come out over the next few months. Uh, thanks to all who have shared the podcast this week. It's really great to see. Um, and also, uh, I'm just going to say another appeal. If you uh, would like to share the podcast with your friends family, whoever, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, if you'd like to give us a rating on any of your favorite podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., we also appreciate that as well. So a big thanks to everybody who's doing that. And we'd also like to encourage people to, to keep doing that. So we'll be back next week with lots more space and things. But don't forget, in space, no one can hear you mean. This has been the Space and Things Podcast with new episodes every Thursday.